Hello, my name is Adam Eason and welcome to episode 107 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have an awesome and also a sexually liberating show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest, Kaz Riley. Uh, Then we'll have this week's Hypnosis in the News stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured, uh, where I offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis gets portrayed in the media. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Kaz Riley. We'll be talking all things sexual freedom and hypnosis. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I don't share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts, or feedback, do get in touch via the, the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at the episodes notes section of iTunes and on each episode's page of the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments, and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. And it takes just a few seconds, one or two clicks to give us a favourable rating. And it does us so much good. So first of all, today is this week's interview with Kaz Riley. Uh, Kaz explained to me that uh, over a decade ago, she had recommended someone onto my diploma course, uh, my my hypnotherapy diploma course, and I'd never known this um, because that particular lady that she'd recommended um, brought a friend who later introduced another friend and all three became very close friends of mine. Um, um, This sort of group of Yorkshire ladies who I grew to love really and became very fond of them. Um, All this time, I'd never known it was thanks to Kaz. Um, um, And I'm equally fond of Kaz for other reasons, though. Uh, She's been in the field for plenty of time. She's worked with plenty of clients. And um, one of the things I like that that really strikes me, that really stands out, she's very much her own person. Not just in in the the kind of Yorkshire sense of the word, uh, where she's comfortable saying it as it is, which is a real strength when we we get into the second part of today's show, which she she refers to um, herself. Um, But but, but also that she embraces her quirks, she embraces who she is. And I think that makes uh, a wonderfully congruent foundation that she builds her approach and her business upon too. We'll get to know her in the interview and then we'll start to examine her specialist field in the second section today. So let's get on with it, shall we? For now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. (music) 
so, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome this week's guest on Hypnosis Weekly, the one and only Kaz Riley. Kaz, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Thank you very much for having me. So, so let's let's learn a little bit about you. Tell tell us a, a bit about your background, how you, how you got into this field, and how you've arrived at where you are now. Well, my my background actually is uh, I originally trained as a as a biologist. That's that's kind of where I started, mm. and um, ended up working in the pharmaceutical industry um, of all places, which uh, is a bit like working for the dark side, isn't it? After yeah, it is. you end up kind of. Uh, being a, a clinical hypnotherapist, but it was a good background for me actually, and it got me used to looking at data and questioning things, and um, and also how to how to run a business, which I think is what a real key thing um, if you're going to be successful um, as a clinical hypnotherapist. But my hypnosis background actually started when I was when I was very very young, um, watching things like uh, cartoons and Scooby Doo. Would you believe? on their Saturday morning television where, you know, you would see you, there was always a hypnosis theme in there quite often. So I always found that quite fascinating. So my, my hypnosis kind of passion, obsession, whatever you want to call it, um, really started then, but it was actually whilst I was at university that that was really consolidated. Uh, because whilst I was at university, I actually took myself off for some therapy and it just turned out that the, the university counsellor in Liverpool also happened to be uh, a hypnotherapist and yeah. I took a look back as a person. So that's where that came from. And then as I was working within the pharmaceutical industry, obviously when you, when you first leave university, you're 21, um, you know, nobody would have taken or I didn't believe that anybody would take a 21-year-old therapist very seriously. So I kind of trained and built things up and um, did a lot, a lot of different courses and a lot of different things and practiced on friends and until actually my eldest son was born and that was the catalyst for me to then go full-time um, into, into hypnosis from a part-time side business that I've been running alongside my career in the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I um, um, I, I love the fact that um, that, that ultimately we have Scooby Doo to thank. We have Scooby Doo to thank. I, I mean, out of all the guests that I've had on this show um, that have cited, you know, some of the uh, some of the some of the reasons that they they got into this field, uh, this is the first time Scooby Doo, Scooby Doo has propped up. Well, there uh, you uh, go. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm you... over the moon about that. Um, um, um so to, with regards to you know over the years then. Um, um, over the years then, and as things have developed and as you've worked longer in this field, um, um, I, I want to get a sense of where you're at as far as, um, as, far as hypnosis is concerned. Um, 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 how, how do you explain hypnosis or how do you define it if you do? And, and how have you arrived at that? You know, how, how do you explain it to your clients or, or, or to people when you get stuck in a corner uh, at, the party, uh, at a party and so on? Um, um, l l yeah, yeah, yeah. T t tell us where you're at as far as hypnosis is concerned. It yeah, it's an interesting one. I'd say my definition of hypnosis has evolved as I've evolved as a hypnotist over the past sort of 20 years. Yeah. Um, the way that, you know, I've defined it, there was lots of beliefs that I had a, about hypnosis that I don't necessarily hold true anymore. So that that's altered my definition. But I guess currently I, I, I explain it to people as 
a kind of a, a state um, or, of mind and body, if you like, that can be used for change, that can be used for good or bad, actually. So a lot of the reasons why people might end up with high anxiety or a, a phobia or a sexual dysfunction is often because something's been suggested to them whilst they've been in a hypnoidal state, which is why hypnosis can often be the answer to help them to overcome that kind of difficulty or issue that they have. Um, and I really explain to people that, you know, all hypnosis ultimately is self-hypnosis and that we, we do fall in and out of these states, um, you know, on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And I really try and demystify it a little bit without getting too technical. I think sometimes if we get too technical, it becomes frightening, doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah it does. And help people to, to feel relaxed about hypnosis and and demystify it so they don't think they're going to get scooby-dooed and have whizzy eyes and go wandering off, you know, with their arms out in front of them. Yeah. It's, you know, it's much more of a, a much more gentle and useful process than that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and I mean, in addition to Scooby-Doo, I'm guessing there are some there are some other people that have influenced, you know, your, your career and where you're at. Could you could you, could you share with us uh, who some of your major influences in this field are? Um, oh. Are there any kind of books and authors that stand out that have taught you most or teachers that have been the most influential upon you and some of the reasons why? So, so many, actually. I mean, I've, I've been incredibly lucky that I've had um, and still have some great teachers and mentors um, that at various times have really taken me under their wing um, throughout my kind of hypnotic journey. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um the first one being actually was my uh, tutor was a, a man named Morris D Sterndale who is really one of the unsung heroes of hypnosis. He he never wrote a book. Um, he's um, somebody that people who trained with him um, will remember forever, I think, for his very unique ways, but had a real way with clients. He had a very strong client-based business and um, was very much for the clients. He was very... Um, into the individual approach that you know one size doesn't fit all and that's kind of where I started from with um, weekly cups of tea and coffee um, as supervision sessions with him over over many years right up until um, a few weeks before he died actually mm. and then people people you know that like Lindsay Eastburn who um, did a lot what well, still does all the um, hypnofertility um, uh, work that she's done over many many years has written several books has you know taught thousands of therapists and um, but certainly for me was a was a huge influence yeah. over what I did and and actually that's from that work my follow-on from her work is where a lot of the the sexual freedom hypnosis has come from and um, people like Roy Hunter the amazing Melissa Tears Kelly Woods um, and I've been fortunate enough over the past few years to spend a lot of time in person with other hypnotherapists which isn't something that happened in my early career and just those conversations that kind of kind of throwing ideas around and looking at things in more detail and getting other people's perspectives has actually been um probably helped me grow more as a as a as a as a clinician than than anything because it makes you think and i think sometimes we have to remember to question everything that we've been taught by anybody that's ever taught us and to to try and improve upon that to try and move all that work forward yeah. 
more books. I mean, I have a real, interestingly, a lot of the books that have the greatest influence upon me are some of the, the real oldie, oldie books. I have a lot of books um, from the 1800s, actually, about hypnosis, which when you look right back to, you know, some of the first works that were published about hypnosis are not actually an awful lot different to some of the more recent ones. The language is different, but a lot of the ideas and concepts are the same. So it's it's looking at a lot of those. And, and then a lot of um, just things outside of hypnosis as well, looking at different ideas and concepts and kind of seeing how that we can then apply those hypnotically. I find that's helped me to grow and has been a great influence. So I think it's just trying to expand that knowledge all the time, isn't it? Rather than just this one great book that has all the answers. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm, I'm, I, um, I, I, I'm a massive fan of old books and, and collect old hypnosis books myself and, 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 and have encountered a lot of um, what you said there. And, and, and I, I, I kind of find a, a certain degree of dissonance in the fact that what, what, do I be elated by the fact that not a huge amount has changed or and, and, and love love the books for that or 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 should i be slightly slightly uh, disappointed that that perhaps uh some 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 of the modern authors haven't haven't progressed uh, uh further um i'm, I'm so t throughout these years then um kaz so what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've that you've directly witnessed I think, I think to be, well, there's so many, but I think probably rather than directly witnessed, I think probably directly experienced is, um, is the thing that I learned most mm. from. And um, there's been several, I use hypnosis all the time, but, the, but the, the, the times that stand out most in my mind was actually giving birth to my two children mm. and, um, and using hypnosis for birth and it being probably the most positive, amazing experience that I've that I've ever had. Obviously, having children is is a wonderful experience, but to be have that level of control, to really not be in you know horrendous pain, um, to be able to kind of work with my body in that way was absolutely mind blowing. And then being able to take that experience and to be with other women as they've given birth and to facilitate that yeah. process for them. Um, you know, in the birthing room, you know, knelt at the side of a birthing pool um, and being able to kind of coach women through that and dads, because they're part of it too, I think probably is one of the most mind-blowing things because as, as, a, as a race, we've been conditioned to believe that that is a horrendous and painful experience and to one have experienced it not being and i'm well known for not having a particularly high pain threshold as well so it's not it's not like i'm a i'm a hard northern girl but not when it yeah i was just gonna i was just gonna say i just thought that um, that, that yorkshire lasses just feel, felt no pain well there you go we don't feel the cold but we feel pain so <laughs> yeah um yeah. but but you know, and to, and also to see how um, the midwives and the doctors kind of changed their view about it, as well as they witnessed it in action, and that was really something to see as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, I, 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 I love to hear that, and I think, um, um, certainly for me, some of the some of the the, the self application mm -hmm. of hypnosis has has I think um, 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 enriched the kind of experience that is then. That is that that is then something that that my clients receive um, 
um, and and informs what I do a great deal. I think it's um, to, to have had good experiences really does really does inform your your professional work. Both just you know in terms of the kind of tone by which you approach it, and of course there's a kind of inherent positivity and belief in what we do as a result. Um, but but also the, the kind of insight and and um, I, I think especially with regards to what we're going to be talking about later on to have to have that kind of experience is really lovely. And, and it's lovely to Absolutely. hear you describe it and speak about it. Well, um, ultimately, it's walking our talk, isn't it? You know, it yeah. is absolute, you know, uh, the best example of that is is actually doing as you say you do rather than uh, do as uh, do as I say, but not as I do. Yeah, and, um, you know, and I've never really truly understood um, uh, hypnotherapists and hypnotists that don't use hypnosis in their own daily lives as we're asking our clients to which doesn't make sense really does it no no absolutely absolutely um um so so if we could go back if we go back to when you started out you know um um either as a either as a kind of student of hypnotherapy or as a or as a hypnosis professional you know knowing knowing what you know now having gone through the journey that you've gone through is there anything you would do differently um, I mean, if so, what? And is, is there any advice that the person you are today would give that younger you, um, um, that you that you'd share with our listeners? That that's a really interesting question. I think that there are several things. There are things that I wish I'd have known. Um, I wish I'd have truly understood the power of hypnosis. Um, at, at that time, I, I believed in it. I knew it helped me, but I didn't understand. I think that goes back to your, your previous question about how has hypnosis moved on. Some of the things that we do may be similar, but the application of it, I think, has expanded massively. And really to be more open-minded about the things that I could do with it and to to try and experiment with it. I experiment with hypnosis all the time now. And um, I wish I'd have done more of that at the start rather than being quite so rigid about my approach. I think that would be the thing that I would change the most or I could tell my, my younger hypnotic self, if you like. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of if I was giving advice to um, maybe newly qualified um, hypnotherapists, I think that would be it, would be to really expand your mind with it, to play with it, to really not be afraid of it, to try things out and to see how it works and, and to see what doesn't as well because it doesn't work for everything. Um, and also in terms of setting up a business, to be absolutely relentless. It was interesting, I was, I was doing... Um, uh, a bit of mentoring with somebody very recently who was sort of saying they didn't have very many clients and you know I, I, I do have lots of clients and I always have had lots of clients and I've really started to think about why that is at the moment compared to you know people that are telling me that they don't and he said well I tried the dentist and after I spoke to seven of them I gave up and I went back and looked in my record and realized that, you know, that first year that I was in practice, I'd contacted every dentist, every driving instructor in the whole of Yorkshire. Every yeah. one of them had got a letter. And, you know, I think for that, maybe, you know, I was, I was kind of discussing that with him and thinking maybe because in the pharmaceutical industry, I used to get knocked back so often by people not wanting to talk to me because that's part of what, you know, when you're in sales, you're cold calling. Maybe my kind of resilience or tolerance level of, of being knocked up, knocked up was uh, um, uh, of being kind of sent away rather. None of my doctors knocked me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, 
I was thinking it, but I'm pleased uh, you said it. Yeah, I was just like, that's an interesting turn of phrase. Um, but, you know, it, it's about keeping going and, and keep pushing it forward because, you know, the general public are becoming more aware about hypnosis and certainly it's a, a modality that, that that's much more accepted than it was 20 years ago. But, you know, we've still got a lot, we've got a lot of people to educate about what it actually is and how it can help and to try and demystify it a bit, I think. Mm. And I think that's one of the things I would say to certainly new hypnotists is just be relentless keep going and um, and remember the belief that you have in hypnosis even at the times when perhaps you don't believe in yourself and I think we all go through those times don't we where our self-belief wanes a little bit especially if we're trying to build something and and to to keep going with it you know often people tell us that we can't have a full-time practice and you know I've, I've had one now for 17 years so it's um, you know it's it's being able to keep moving forwards and keeping that momentum going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, that that there is, you know, that is such such good advice. I do think that um, um, many hypnotherapists, as brilliantly skilled and qualified and educated as as they they very often are. Um, very often are a bit sensitive when it comes to the business side of things and developing you know a really effective business and, and I think typically there's a lot of hypnotherapists out there that really struggle with that side of things and yet being relentless this this idea um, my friend um, um, Lindsay uh, Lindsay Shepherd uh, uh, uses the mantra uh, relentless forward progress with her with, with her marathon training and and it's something that that we've used very often within 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 work with clients as well and um, I, I, I really really enjoyed I had a big smile on my face when you were saying that um, um, so we're going to talk all things sexual freedom um, um, uh, in, in the second part of the show uh, for now Kaz where can people go to learn more about you your work your approach and so on they, well there's several places but the, the main place would be uh, www.sexualfreedomhypnosis.org and on there is um, all the training that I provide for other therapists that I wanted to train in sexual freedom. Um, there's uh, www.sexualfreedom.com, which is my uh, therapy site for that. And then I have a, a general hypnotherapy site, which is kazreilly.com, uh, where you can find out all kinds of things um, about hypnosis and also about the approach that I take. So there will be links uh, to all of those sites, sexualfreedomhypnosis.org, sexualfreedom.com and kazreilly.com uh, um, over at uh, uh, the page for this particular uh, episode. Um, 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 we are going to be rolling our sleeves up and talking all things sexual freedom in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Uh, we'll have more from Kaz shortly. Um, next up, we're going to have a look at our hypnosis and the news stories. And I'm referring to three stories this week that range from the sublime to the to, to, to the outright ridiculous, in my opinion. So first up, uh, a great story um, um, that I read this uh, th this last week. Um, I hired a doula for my second pregnancy and it was the best decision I ever made. 
Uh, this is in Lifestyle magazine on Yahoo, um, where, whereby the author is reflecting upon her second pregnancy. Um, and there were lots of things that the author chose to do differently than with her first. Um, um, and, and states that out of everything she changed, the best decision was that she she, she got a doula. Um, and it's hard to put into words, uh, according to her, how valuable uh, this was. Um, 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 and um, um, her, her mental health and her, her happiness were the priority of this doula. And she had some, some back injuries, the, the author, and she was unable to get an epidural during her first labour. And she had no pain alternatives in place. And she, she, she used her words, she screamed her head off for hours on end. So for her second labour, she decided to, to use self-hypnosis. Hurrah! And what's more, her doula helped her with this. Uh, and she describes that during the, the labour and the birth, the, the doula was by her side reciting some hypnosis prompts. Um, um, and I really liked this. Um, she had a husband by her side during um, during both deliveries. Um, um, and, and, and apparently he was also grateful for the doula. Um, took some pressure off him and, and so on. Um, so that's the answer, folks. A hypnosis wielding doula is the the, the hypnobirthing solution. Um, the second story, um, it, it, it's a beauty. Uh, uh, the title is Three Bruneians Nabbed for Hypnosis Attempt in Indonesia. Yes, this is uh, a story that featured in the Borneo Bulletin. Um, and it goes something along these lines. An Indonesian housewife, Harlina Wati, uh, age 53, according to the article, was close to becoming a victim of hypnosis in um, Sukmayaya, uh, a district in Depok, West Java, Indonesia, uh, just recently. Um, and three men who claimed to be from Brunei Durasalam um, allegedly approached the woman and tried to hypnotize her by patting her back. This is what Indonesian newspapers are reporting. Um, um, in describing the incident, Harlinawati, she said that she was approached by the perpetrators as she was on her way home. And in the blink of an eye, apparently, her back was tapped and in a state of subconsciousness, she followed the men into a car. And this is what she says. Um, 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 inside the car, the perpetrators said they were from Brunei and wanted to exchange some foreign currencies. They also claimed they could double whatever money she owns. Um, anyhow, duped by these perpetrators, Harlan uh, uh, and she unknowingly surrendered two gold rings and the watch she was wearing. And upon doing so, the perpetrators promised that her belongings would be returned if she gave them the rest of her jewelries that was kept at home. Uh, the victim was then driven to her house. Now, the, the plan fortunately failed, uh, uh, and, and I'll quote the article, the, 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 the plan failed when the hypnotic trance on Hurlinawati disappeared as soon as one of her children patted her back. Aha, she awoke and screamed. The three men tried to escape. Uh, members of the public unit of Indonesian National Police arrested and brought them to a security post. Um, so, I, so, so let's be honest. This story has nothing whatsoever to do with hypnosis. Hypnosis cannot be wielded this way. You know, I'm not disputing that something went on. Whatever, whatever it was, whatever it is, applying this umbrella notion of hypnosis to cover and explain away what happened here is downright misleading and incorrect. The only person, uh, well, well, well the, the only reason I'm not laughing at this story um, is because the woman clearly had a torrid time of it, you know. Um, um, anyway, on to our third story. 
the it's entitled the Russian master who used hypnosis to find his muse again and this was um, um, just published at the end of January this year um, in the Irish independent newspaper and it's a lovely article about Rachmaninoff um, um, and 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 that, that shows that though he was a, a star student in his early days misfortune sort of dogged him um, and he had this really bright start to his composing career, which was a um, 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 and, and his first piano concert, concerto that was written at the age of 17 placed him on this path of musical excellence. Um, um, and it should have been the crowning glory of his years, but ended up becoming a bit of a millstone. Um, and, and his first symphony was, was eagerly awaited and it was going to be unveiled. Um, in St. Petersburg, and the highly respected composer of the day, Alexander Glazunov, um, who was a favourite of Rachmaninoff's, was engaged to conduct uh, Rachmaninoff's premiere. And it ended up being a bit of a mistake because um, Glazunov didn't rate the music. He couldn't be bothered to rehearse the orchestra properly. And when he took to the podium on that night, um, apparently he'd had quite a lot to drink. And the performance ended up being a disaster. The reviews were damning and Rachmaninoff who was just about to turn 24 at the time was devastated and that symphony was never performed again in his lifetime um, and he ended up not being able to think about writing anything else so he continued um, on the concert stage as a pianist and he was brilliant this, he had this sort of prodigious hand span and was renowned for clarity in the way in which he played um, 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 so at, but, but at the urging of his wife he eventually uh, underwent hypnosis that cured his writer's block. Um, and he returned in real triumph with the breathtaking Piano Concerto Number no. 3 and performed it um, in, in 1909 in New York. Um, and the rest, as they say, is history. Um, and it's a really lovely article. Um, all, all the articles make for some fascinating reading. Um, um, and there's a link to all of these articles over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, so next up, we have this week's professional discussion. I welcome back Kaz Riley, and we talk all things sexual freedom and hypnosis. I saw Kaz present on this subject last year, and I really enjoyed the presentation. The information that she offered was extensive. The humour she used really appealed to me. The way she communicated her subject I found really endearing. Um, um, and, and the subject itself, you know, it is something which, which would have people such as myself, you know, kind of... It, inner juveniles struggling to deliver this subject with any real credibility you know I'm the guy who loses it when giving lectures on irritable bowel syndrome and has to talk about stool consistency you know let alone casually saying the words penis and vagina with any regularity during the topic and um, Kaz speaks on the subject um, all around the world now and we discuss it here today and um, we actually ended up recording these two sections on separate days as my internet connection got cut off um, um, during our first call. So if I sound a bit different from the previous section and this one, it's because um, I'm in, in the days in between the two recordings, I contracted a particularly vicious strain of man flu and I was suffering a bit. I mean, obviously I didn't go on about it, uh, but I just wanted to explain here for you. Here is this week's professional discussion with Kaz Riley. Enjoy. <music> So 
So I'm delighted to welcome back uh, the second part of uh, this week's show, our guest, Kaz Riley, and we're going to be talking all things sexual freedom hypnosis. So, so, so Kaz, welcome back. Um, 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 first of all, j just tell us a little bit, you, you know, um, um, what are we talking about when we're actually talking about this topic of sexual freedom hypnosis? What are we talking about? What does it mean? What does it encompass? You know, tell us about, about the subject, frame things. Okay. Well, I, I guess the, the best way to start with anything is, is as a definition, isn't it? That's always a good starting point when we're, we're talking about what something is. And mm. um, sexual freedom, um, in terms of sexual freedom hypnosis and what that, that kind of means to me and my clients and practitioners, is, is really it's the ability to choose to have um, a consenting, confident, satisfying sex life in the absence of uh, sexual dysfunction, guilt and shame. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's lots of elements within that, you know, choice being one. Um, to choose to do something or not to do something. So we're not saying that everybody has to have lots of sex, but they, they should at least have to be able to choose whether they want to or not, i.e. if they've got sexual dysfunction or if they have a lot of uh, guilt and shame attached to sex, and that can have you know a major impact on people's enjoyment and satisfaction and, and the ability to have relationships, can't it? Mm, mm, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, so, you know... Um, um, uh, well, I want to ask you a bit more about the approach in, in a few moments, but but and I know within the interview we were asking um, and we sort of found out a little bit about your background and how you got into this field. But but how did your interests develop into this into this area where you are you know now now well known as being a specialist in you know how did your your interest in this develop and how did it go on to become the sort of important part of what you offer the world? It's um, I think an, a niche or a speciality, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, really, I think they often find the person rather than we kind of go looking for it. So mm. a lot of my work really started out um, in the, the kind of birth hypnosis and in particular fertility hypnosis. Mm. And what I found was that, you know, a lot of the people that were coming for me, coming to me for uh, treatment, they were either having IVF or they were having issues getting pregnant. One of the underlying things that, that was kind of stopping them from getting pregnant, either male or female, was a sexual dysfunction or a lack of connection or, or sometimes even after they'd had their fertility treatment, that feeling of kind of that loss of something within their relationship or from their, from their sexuality or sensuality. So I found myself working with those issues and then as a consequence often people didn't need um, fertility treatment because we'd sorted out their vagismus for example so that then they were able to have sex and, and mm. to conceive um, and or, or, or to get that kind of real connection back in again and and often you know so that clients and were connecting back in with their partners after fertility treatment so that you know they were getting that aspect of their lives back again which um, I'm sure you're aware for lots of couples that are having fertility treatment, it can be make things very mechanical and can take a lot of the fun out of it. And of course, you know, sex is supposed to be an expression of connection, love, and a lot of fun between two people, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, um, absolutely. Um, it's quite interesting that you mentioned couples there. Do, do do you work with do you work with couples as well as as individuals, or is it primarily individuals? 
I'd, 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 it's primarily individuals, but I do work with couples as well. Um, that said, my area that I work with is uh, couples trying to reconnect uh, sexually. So I don't do things like, um, you know, the, the things that, say, people of Relate would do. I don't really I add on to that. I don't do that instead of. So it's, right, okay. it's still very much a very kind of... Uh, helping people to connect back in sensually and sexually really communicate better that way yeah 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 so so before we sort of start looking at some of the key features of your approach is that is there a is there a philosophy that underpins it is there a sort of a, a, a flavor to it uh, and, and the way in which you approach this subject matter and the way in which you approach these things that's, that's an interesting question. I guess it's looking at it from a much more modern day perspective um, and looking at how how sexuality and sexual dysfunction in particular has changed, um, certainly over the last 50 years. And when you look at the causes, for, say, for example, of sexual dysfunction, um, and and how you know just how people view sexuality and sex in general, you know, has changed a lot. You know, during my lifetime, you know, things that were seen as very taboo when I was younger, for example, now everyday, you know, things that people accept that will be everyday things within a relationship or types of sexual expression. But you know, looking at you know things like um, I mean, you, if anybody that's heard me speak will hear me talk a lot about the the Basson model of sexuality, which is much more complex than you know the old kind of yeah, you know, stimulation, arousal, orgasm, resolution, you know, the old kind of, um, the, the old models that were around. Um, so it's very much focusing on it in, in, from a very modern perspective. So looking at the causes of sexual dysfunction now are, you know, often things like pornography, uh, depression, antidepressants. Um, so a lot of the things that mm. we now use that we didn't have are now some of the major causes of sexual dysfunction and loss of libido. So I guess... The philosophy is to look at it more, much more as a whole person thing rather than just an act and to see our sexuality as a fundamental part of being human rather than just something that happens in the bedroom because we are all sexual beings. Um, we might not express that every moment of every, of every day, but it's there that's something that's always with us, isn't it? And when it's missing, it's very apparent to those that, you know, aren't feeling it, if you like. Mm, mm, mm. That's fascinating. Um, um, t t tell me, obviously, you know, everybody that you work with is is an individual and so you're going to be treating and working with that individual um in in in, in whatever way you know you deem right for that for that person and their situation their circumstances are there some sort of key features of 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 your approach are there some key features that you think um are common that that, that raise themselves quite quite often or quite frequently within what you do very much so i think the, the kind of things that underpin um, sexual dysfunction or, or kind of worries and concerns about sex um, are still still now, um, you know, here in, in 2019, guilt and shame are the two things that are often there. And um, I think that's a lot to do with just the taboo nature of, of talking about sex even. You know, it's um, yeah. even if you look at... What people are taught in schools now. I mean, my my uh, eldest son was fifteen yesterday. You know, they're they're learning about this stuff in some detail, 
but they're, they're still taught about the mechanics of things. You know, it's very much about contraception rather than affection. So I think it's all of those kinds of things that kind of keep popping up. And, um, and also the, the expectation of what good sex looks like um, is something that, um, that comes up a lot now, where the point of reference of and most people actually is now changed to what they can find online and on the internet. And as we know, you know, Google is the biggest source of misinformation that's ever been out there. It's, it yeah. has some great stuff on there, but it's certainly in terms of sex, um, you know, it, it often points people towards pornography, which is probably the biggest misrepresentation of what good sex and intimate sex and satisfying sex looks like. And also is the cause of many sexual dysfunctions because of one, because of the anxiety of, of people making comparisons, but also um, because of this kind of surge of dopamine that, that, that affects how the brain works. It literally re rewires people's brains um, sexually so that it doesn't work in the normal everyday setting. So, yeah, 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 but shame and guilt are the, the two biggest things that I still see by far. Yeah, when I, when I attended your, your presentation, uh, presentation of yours um, last year, at the UK Hypnosis Convention, um, I, 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 you expanded on, on, on a point um, of that, of that ilk, in fact. And I remember you saying that, that pornography also, um, um, there's, there's this kind of ongoing stimulus where people are getting you know looking at one thing for a period of time then looking at something else then looking at something else and and getting this kind of shots of dopamine so to speak and and these feel-good mm -hmm. chemicals um, um and, and it just creates it creates a kind of sexual um, 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 um habit if you like that, that that simply isn't 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 pr present or is, isn't replicable in real life scenarios Yes. Well, it becomes, I mean, if you look at, um, it was Gary Wilson that did something called the Great Porn Experiment, where, you know, they looked, um, in this case, it was looking a lot at, it was college, uh, college, um, uh, college men um, over in America that were experiencing erectile dysfunction, actually. And what they found was that those particular uh, men had a much higher usage of pornography than the ones that didn't have erectile dysfunction. And what they realized was there's a lot to do with a lot of the chemicals in the brain, things like Delta Fos B and all kinds of stuff. But essentially what was happening was with each click on something new, and when you think about pornography, for example, you could literally spend the rest of your life watching it and you wouldn't you could look at something different every two minutes and never see mm. the same thing twice. It's this novelty that sparks this kind of dopamine spray. Um, so that then that kind of the feeling of sexual arousal and orgasm, all those kind of sensations then become about clicking. It becomes attached to clicking, about novelty, about yes. being alone as well. That's the other thing. So it becomes less about things like connection, being with somebody else, um, the enjoyment of being with somebody else. It becomes a very alone kind of dopamine-driven thing, which then means in you know when somebody actually wants to have sex with somebody they can't it just literally doesn't work because you know the, the their bodies and their brains being rewired to work in a different way so you know there's there's that that in itself is something that's new you know pornography has always been around but it's never been accessible to the level that it is now you know people used to have to work for it and now you know you can find that within a couple of clicks on any computer can't you so yeah. it's you know that that's part of that
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, um, um, you, you and I are friends on Facebook, and um, um, I see every now and then a picture of you um, at your microphone, and um, you're about to start delivering um, one of your one of your tuition programs. You know, helping mm -hmm. uh, hypnotherapists to become sexual freedom hypnosis practitioners. Um, 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 what what are some of the what are some of the sort of key skills and the key key elements of, of approaches that you think it's important for for hypnotherapists to have to know to apply to do um, um is that something you can share absolutely i think well, there's there's many aspects to the um sexual freedom uh, hypnosis certification program but you know the the way we start with everybody and i think this this is useful for any any hypnotherapist or any therapist actually because everybody that we work with is a sexual being and if we are comfortable with talking about sex whether we're working with sexual dysfunction or not i think that helps us understand our clients better because it's always a so it's a very good indicator to how a person is feeling generally, I think, about you know what the libido is like, etc. But the first place that I start is really taking a really great consultation. And I am of the ilk of the, the person that takes a fairly in-depth consultation with everybody that comes to see me for for most things, you know. Um I know that there's a trend at the moment that we don't really need to know anything, and you know, that that works. But for me, I tend to to individualize something. I think we need to be able to do that. So how to do that? And then in this case, when we're talking about sex and sexuality, how to do that like a Frank, a Frank Yorkshire woman does it, essentially, which is we just tell it how it is. And that's kind of, you know, I joke with my students that I'm teaching them how to do Yorkshire hypnosis. It's tell it as it is, say it as it is, call it as it is. And um, and to be really frank and open and not to have that embarrassment. And I think as, as a therapist, if you feel embarrassed, then the client feels embarrassed. And it's amazing how much of a shift you can make um, with somebody with sexual dysfunction just during that first consultation by just being able to speak really openly and honestly. And for, it gives them a platform to do that. And if they can do that with you, then they start to do it with other people. And that's only a good thing. Yeah. Um, and then once we've done that, it's very much looking at um, not just looking at sex. I think it's very easy to focus in on symptoms where actually what we're looking at is, you know, sexual dysfunction as, as, a, as a symptom of something else going on. And what I always try and remind everybody that I work with is that as hypnotherapists, the, the area that we all specialize in is anxiety. If you look at just about any area of hypnosis that we work with, the, the behaviors or the symptoms that we often see are, are somehow linked to anxiety. So really a lot of um, sexual dysfunction, be that uh, erectile dysfunction, be it premature ejaculation, maybe it's vagiismus with that kind of clamping of the muscles. A lot of that's actually based on anxiety and whether it's fear of pain, fear of embarrassment, fear of not being good enough, all, all of those things, we're still dealing with a lot of the things that we deal with um, right across the board with as, as hypnotherapists. So it's it's really looking at what's driving those symptoms, but then also looking at the guilt and the shame that's attached to sex, and then helping people to to really connect back in with their bodies. So there's there's lots of elements to it. We tend to work in um, you know male sexual dysfunction, female sexual dysfunction, some couples stuff. We look at um, 
the LGBTQ plus stuff. And then also um, we have the kink friendly stuff, which um, is certainly becoming more and more popular, uh, especially this last eight years or so since the uh, DSM depathologicalized most of the paraphilias. So that, you know, everything's moving forward and yeah. there's, there's lots of elements to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, when you and I spoke, spoke previously, um, um, you mentioned that there was um, that there was there was there was a little bit of a lack of 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 evidence base with regards to this this kind of specific application of hypnosis. I, I, I'm guessing, however, that that there's there's that, you know there is research and evidence that that underpins. I, I mean, that, you know, you, you've been citing um, um, lots of lots of kind of scientific concepts, yeah. for example. Um, um, that's related specifically to to, to, to sexual, you know, um, 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 therapeutic solutions in other areas. But but also, uh, I'm guessing that there are some things that you're able to that that that, that are sort of um, from the field of of hypnosis and hypnotherapy in general that have an evidence base that you're able to apply specifically Absolutely. to to these areas. Yeah, I mean there is. I mean, it's interesting that the kind of evidence research base for sexual dysfunction and hypnosis, there was a lot in the late 1970s and early 80s. Mm. And then there's kind of been a gap. And, the, you know, since about 2007, there has been some. I mean, and some of it, it's, it's interesting. So in 2017, for example, there was, um, I think it was published in the Journal of uh, Sex and Marital Therapy, which just looked at... A single session of autogenic training and how that can change sexual arousal and sexuality and function in women and you know they found that it was very effective just you know and we know autogenics I mean some people might disagree with me but you know autogenics we we can um, do very similar things with hypnosis in terms of just in terms of relaxation and stress so mm. you know there's there's lots of, um, you know, looking at things like um, vulvic pain, for example, and, and can hypnosis help that? There was a, um, I'm trying to think, I think that was in 2007 um, that that was published. So there is some, there's just not masses of it. Um, and then there's things like, you know, there's lots of, um, lots and lots of studies that show, for example, that antidepressants, they, they believe now 50 to 70% of people who take the selective serotonin re reuptake inhibitor type yeah. um, antidepressants will experience some kind of sexual dysfunction as a result of that. Yeah. So it makes sense then, you know, if you're working with somebody um, to treat their anxiety or their depression, um, we know that, we already know that, um, you know, hypnotherapy is a good um, intervention for that so that then you can work with them and their doctor so that they can either reduce or stop taking their antidepressant. So, you know, there's all kinds of, um, you know, we can apply stuff, you know, and we know what I, I think we need to get over this idea of sex. I think the word sex scares people um, and scares some therapists, actually, when actually what we're working with is people that have got anxieties. Um, it just happens to be attached to sex. So we're, although we're working with sex, we're not, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 absolutely it does. Um, and there's a really interesting, a really interesting point you made there, you know, the fact that so many SSRIs are, um, um, you know, do, do affect libido, um, which, <coughs> and, 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 you know, having a, having a, a, a problem with one's libido 
um, can contribute to your depression, you know, and, and it just Absolutely. kind of becomes um, um, a rather painful sounding cycle. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, they also delay orgasm, which is the, you know, something for a lot of people that can cause anorgasmia, which um, although I really encourage people not to have orgasm as the main focus of sex, because I think that that's very detrimental and, and also that affects libido, believe it or not, in the long term. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there, are, there are some times where they use SSRIs to treat premature ejaculation because it, it does Is delay it so? that. Mm. But they also, you know, there's a lot of information out there that also shows that it also affects things like um, how people view intimacy, for example, how people view dominance within relationships, how... Um, how they view or how they value um, intimacy, love and connection. And that goes down. We now know that, you know, as as serotonin levels are driven upwards, that dopamine levels are driven downwards. So the, the there's a real kind of neurological or, or a neurotransmitter cascade effect that happens with SSRIs, which in particular um, affect sexual function and can cause sexual dysfunction. So it's it's much more complex than um, you know than than I think perhaps we thought. Rather than it just being about serotonin, it, they, they do affect other things because everything's a, a fine equilibrium within the mind and the body, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 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 t tell me, Kaz, what's the what, what's the future direction as far as what what you are doing currently? In terms of what I'm doing, um, it's I've, I am more and more um, seeing more and more women actually that are now coming forward with sexual dysfunction who I certainly feel have kind of been left behind a bit in terms of everything, in terms of research, in terms of classification. And we're moving more and more forwards with that now and um, to make it more accessible um, and also to, to really start these conversations. I'm very keen that um, as therapists, but certainly just in general, that we should be talking about sex and sexuality and sexual dysfunction um, much more openly. Um, with much more of a focus on what good sex looks like. You know, it's it's interesting how, um, you know, men will come and see me in the clinic and they want more sex and women come and see me and they want good sex. And the two things aren't necessarily the same thing, but also a lot of re-education. And I think, you know, we need re-educating as therapists, partly because with the information that we've had for a long time has been very outdated. Um, and it's been very male-centred, actually. And also, just in general, getting people to talk about how they're feeling and what's happening so that we can get people connecting back in again. Um, so a lot of the stuff that, in terms of my direction, is very much um, client-based um, rather than training-based, although um, we, are, we are doing training and various trainings about this, but, you know, all of it's come from the client. So I, I hope, you know, I think it should stay that way, that everything that I, I teach is the stuff that I've learned by working with people um, and then refining that and then bringing that to teach it to other people. Mm, brilliant, brilliant. Um, um, you know, I could just, just go on asking you about this stuff. Um, um, so t t tell me, um, tell our listeners, uh, where can people go to, to, to learn more about um, um, your programs? Um, um, it's the same websites that we mentioned previously, I'm guessing. 
Yes, it is. It's uh, um, the for people wanting to learn sexual freedom hypnosis um, and maybe take the certification training. Um, all the dates and stuff um, are on www.sexualfreedomhypnosis.org. Um, on that website, there's also a list of um, the people that are practitioners currently. So if you're looking for somebody to help you with something like that, you can find those people on there as well. Um, or you can visit my personal site, um, which is where I provide my therapy from, um, which is www.sexualfreedomhypnosis.org. Dot com, um, And then there's also, for anybody just wanting general hypnosis information, um, there's kazrani.com as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great. Um, I'm, I'm, thank you so much, Kaz. This has been, you know, really, really insightful uh, for me. Um, I'm, I'm, and, and, and just to confirm, your, um, your sexualfreedomhypnosis.org, the, the, the course that you run, people can do that, do that online, can't they? So wherever you're based, wherever they're based in the world, they can do that online. Is that right? They can, it, but it's still a talk course. So it's, it's still, we do it via webinar. So it's, we still get the interaction and the questions. It's not just watch a series of videos no, um it's it's still a very interactive one but it's great because yeah the last one that we did we had people from new zealand people from canada people from america poland uk so you get a really good international mix and actually that's really useful for this because internationally there's such different ideas about sex and we all learn from each other yeah yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, um, that's lovely. Uh, um, go check out uh, Kaz's uh, website. Uh, go uh, um, um, send her questions if you have any questions regarding to any of the topics. Um, all that remains for me to say, Kaz Riley, thank you. Thank you for being the guest on this week's Hypnosis Weekly. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. It was lovely speaking to Kaz. Uh, there are links to Kaz's website over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website and in the episode notes over at iTunes. Um, so we round things off with this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. And the fact is this, that Skype-delivered hypnotherapy is effective for treating irritable bowel syndrome. So, um, you know, gut-focused hypnotherapy is an effective treatment for irritable bowel syndrome. Um, and we know that, you know, we've got really good strong evidence to support that, um, but it's not widely available. So this, this recent study, uh, you know, it's a 2019 publication, assessed whether providing hypnotherapy via Skype might partially overcome this problem. So using a 50 point or more reduction in the IBS symptom severity score as the primary outcome measure, 65% of subjects responded to Skype hypnotherapy with all of the other outcomes significantly improving as well. So things like depression, anxiety, pain relief, symptom severity, quality of life, and so on. The primary outcome figure for face-to-face -face hypnotherapy in the trial was 76%. Um, um, so, so Skype hypnotherapy is effective, but slightly less so than, than the same treatment delivered face-to-face. 
However, you know, many patients would have been unable to access treatment without the Skype option. Um, and it's becoming increasingly popular. So it's good to see this getting researched. Really put a smile on my face when I saw that being published um, um, just in recent weeks. Links to that research paper um, I'm included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. If you follow me on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, you can find masses of memes relating to uh, a variety of studies whereby hypnosis has been examined. So that is it for this week's 107th edition. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I do have many more exciting guests that I'll welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming editions. We shall be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. Next time out, I'll be speaking to Ryan Jenkins and we're going to be going tribal. Yes, indeed, tribal. Don't miss it. Uh, all the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode uh, on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. So do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again go to Kaz Riley. My thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.